Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm Nathan Rubin. Like you, we were shocked and devastated at the news of the mass shooting in Las Vegas last week. It's now been confirmed that 58 people were killed and over 500 wounded as a gunman opened fire on a country music concert from the 32nd floor of an adjacent hotel. In preparation for this podcast, we wanted to try to find someone that we could interview who would offer a valuable and unique perspective in the debate around guns, and we were very fortunate to have Chris Hurst agree to come on. Chris is a candidate for Virginia's House of Delegates, and his election is actually coming up this November, November 2017. Two years ago, Chris's girlfriend was shot and killed on live television. They were both news anchors at a local Virginian TV station, and it was an awful and tragic event that threw his life in a tailspin. Since then, Chris has moved, and he's decided that the best way to go forward with his life is to get into public service. He's running as a progressive, and he wants to invest in education, mental health, common sense gun measures, and he's based in a rural district in Virginia. We unfortunately lost about 10 minutes of our audio from the interview, but you can find Chris on Twitter at ChrisHurstVA. That's Chris, H-U-R-S-T-V-A on Twitter. Or you can go to his website, Hurst4Delegate.com. Hurst, the number four, Delegate.com. So without further ado, here's our interview with Chris. On the pod today, we're joined by former TV news anchor and now candidate for the Virginia House of Delegates, Chris Hurst. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for joining us. In the wake of the tragedy in Vegas, uh, you know, today's one of those days that for a lot of people is hard to comprehend and it, it's hard to wrap our minds around. And, and with that said, I'd like to start with your background a bit. You have a tragic but inspirational story as, you know, your life has been personally affected by guns in a way that most of us can't imagine. Um, earlier today, you tweeted, change will happen only after more people know this kind of violence personally. Um, can you tell our listeners how you were personally affected by gun violence? Yeah, sure, Nathan. You know, I was someone who grew up and played violent video games and um, went to the range with my brother. And uh, I still own uh, my shotgun when I uh, used to do skeet and trap and haven't done it in a little while. Uh, and grew up with gun culture being synonymous with American culture. And um, never really gave it much thought, even as mass shootings were continuing to uh, escalate in this country as a phenomenon. Um, I was impacted by it directly in 2015. Uh, I worked uh, at uh, the CBS station in Roanoke, Virginia, as the 6 and 11 o'clock anchor. Uh, At the time, I was dating our morning reporter, Allison Parker. We'd been together about seven, eight months and had just moved in together uh, about a, a month before she was shot and killed in August of 2015. Uh, along with her photographer, uh, Adam Ward. It happened uh, on live television as she was doing uh, uh, a morning news report, just like she did every other day. And so uh, that sent me on an odyssey and uh, certainly an existential crisis um, uh, through tremendous grief and uh, something I still uh, deal with uh, to this day. And so... um, 
you know, I, I have a lot of friends now uh, that uh, are more active in gun violence prevention, uh, and there were certainly overtures made that I could have gone that route and really uh, rebuffed that because uh, Allison and I were journalists. Uh, we, we both worked on two projects that eventually won Edward R. Murrow Awards together, and so uh, there are so many more issues that I care about than um, than just gun violence. But uh, you know what I tweeted this morning. You know, as I woke up, was uh, the reality that I believe, which is that I don't think that progressive change will happen to reduce uh, not only the mass shooting phenomenon but the everyday gun violence that goes unreported until tragically more and more people become a part of this uh, this club that no one wants to be a member of. As someone who is so far removed from it, I mean, it's really inspiring to hear your story and, you know, to see you take such a tra tragic event and turn it around and, and kind of reinvent yourself and start working for the greater good. Um, and I think your story is going to resonate with a lot of people, um, especially this week. Um, and the off chance that someone out there is listening and, and was affected by the shooting, um, you know, having overcome a traumatic experience, what words would you offer them or what kind of guidance could you give to them? I, I try very, very hard when, when people ask me after what unfortunately has become episodic incidences of gun violence that um, are very public, like what happened in Las Vegas, you know, to, to make an apples to apples comparison. But here actually in this case, you know, we have a, a situation where thousands of people were witnesses over a very prolonged uh, period of time. And so the post-traumatic stress that's going to uh, come is going to affect people differently. And some people are going to develop uh, PTSD. Some people will not. Uh, I did not, even though I went through an extreme amount of post-traumatic stress. Um, other people close to Allison did. Um, you have uh, the first responders that uh, many of them who were responders to uh, the crime scene when Allison and Adam were killed uh, can't look at me without crying. You know, I'm, I'm a trigger to people emotionally now. Um, and that will happen for a lot of people who become uh, identifiable uh, with the uh, Las Vegas uh, shooting. But, you know, uh, my situation uh, is also similar because it happened on live television. So 50,000 people uh, saw it happen as it was unfolding and a lot of people come up to me still and, and tell me where they were and what they were doing eating breakfast making uh, a lunch for their kids as they were going on the school bus because it happened early um, uh, just as school was was getting back in into session and so uh, you, you you know it's it's um it, it it's something that forever profoundly changes your life and uh, the, the best thing that, um, that I can say is that uh, you, you, whether you want to or not, or whether you think you need to or not, I think that you need to get professional help, you need to get evaluated, you need to be uh, in a managed care uh, environment where you um, talk about these things and you really, um, you have to go there in, in your grief. Uh, and this is what part is part of what made me want to uh, get into public service is that um, what I went through galvanized me to my community and made me feel more connected with humanity rather than less because I got so much 
um, thought and prayer from the people that were viewers uh, at the television station and people who shared similar stories of uh, grief, certainly not as um, a public in nature, but there are some common themes. And so um, uh, I think that everybody needs to, to take their own journey and to really make sure that they, that they do go through the grief journey uh, with all that that entails. You know, the, the waves are 100 feet high when they hit you uh, every minute of every day uh, when it immediately happens. Uh, but then as time goes on, um, and I have friends who have lost loved ones in Columbine and in uh, Newtown and in Charleston and in uh, Aurora and in San Bernardino, you know, the waves uh, sometimes aren't as high and sometimes don't hit you as frequently. But, you know, I, I still get knocked down by waves from time to time, even during, uh, during the, my time on this campaign. Mm -hmm. No, I can't imagine. And I mean, it's, it's really, as you said, become episodic in the sense that it seems like we bounce from shooting to shooting, from tragedy to tragedy in this country. Um, and I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into the policy behind this a little bit. Um, we're the only developed nation that has this mass shooter problem. Um, and you say change can only come when more people experience it, but, but what types of changes um, would you advocate for? Well, you're right that uh, we seem to be distinct in this phenomenon, and I think it's for uh, a variety of reasons. I think uh, part of it is uh, easy access to firearms. A part of it, I think, is, um, is psychological. Uh, part of it is not a, a good enough job uh, to develop a proper threat assessment protocols in the workplace, uh, in schools, and... Um, uh, I think that we have many different ways that we can try to reduce the phenomenon of, of mass shootings, but, you know, I use that word specifically. You know, this is a phenomenon. These are things that uh, are demonstrative acts of violence done for public attention and done for infamy. The man who tried and, and successfully killed Adam and Allison was doing so uh, to try to become infamous. He... he um, made overtures to uh, the man who committed the atrocities at Virginia Tech as being a motivator. Uh, and uh, we saw what happened in Umqua Community College that there is this notion of a high score by some of these individuals too. And so this is, you know, a, a phenomenon that we have to look at from many different variables. What's also very important to know is that while in our lifetime, we as millennials, we have gone from Virginia Tech being the most um, deadly mass shooting to Orlando to now Las Vegas, all happening uh, within the period of 10 years, that in Virginia, more people die from gun violence than in car crashes every single year now. And it's not from... Uh, the kind of mass shootings or public demonstrative acts of violence like what happened to Adam and Allison and like what happened at Virginia Tech, it's from uh, suicide, uh, from people who don't have access to mental health services and families who are powerless to try and remove dangerous firearms from, uh, from the home. It comes from our men and women of color uh, who are killing uh, each other on the streets in urban communities uh, every single day. Uh, in the eastern part of the Commonwealth, 
You know, there are everyday incidents of gun violence that go unreported and unheralded. And those are the kinds of conversations that we really need to be talking about uh, and not only talking about this issue when it, um, when it explodes in uh, incredible fashion like we continue to see in uh, what we had hoped would have been previously unimaginable ways. You mentioned mental health and all those other factors there. Kind of talking a little bit more about the other focal points of your campaign, what types of policies are you advocating for? What are you running on? I was motivated to make a change because I needed to leave the television station. It was emotionally a tomb for me. It's where Allison and I fell in love. It's also where I was told she was dead. And going in there every single day became uh, incredibly difficult for me. And so I knew I needed to leave the television station. I knew I needed to leave Roanoke, a city that I had lived in for uh, better part of a decade, uh, because driving around there were too many visceral memories of things that uh, reminded me of the time that we spent together and the things we did together. And while uh, I was happy that we had that magical time together, it also was incredibly painful for me. So uh, I knew I needed to move somewhere else, but as I said before, I. I I became galvanized to this community and love Southwest Virginia and love the people here and wanted to do something where I could try to do something for them in a more tangible way instead of just asking questions all the time as a journalist. Maybe I can start coming up directly with solutions. And so uh, as a journalist, uh, I covered dozens of different issues uh, that public policy impacts. And so our campaign really is focused on what the people of my district uh, tell me are their biggest needs, which is we need more attention paid to Southwest Virginia and to rural areas, and we need louder, stronger fighters for rural needs uh, like uh, access to broadband internet, like changing school funding formulas that help rural schools and increase teacher pay. Uh, we desperately need to expand Medicaid in Virginia, and that's been uh, a Republican rejection time and time again each year uh, purely for political means to undermine the success of the Affordable Care Act. And so we've been running on uh, issues that uh, have a real direct tangible impact on the people of my district. And there are some people who think that uh, I'm a gun grabber, who think that I'm interested in just trying to take everybody's guns away. But uh, you know, as a gun owner myself and as someone who comes from an objective journalistic background, you know, I think we need objectivity in the way that we look uh, at gun laws because uh, it, the Second Amendment is in our Constitution, and it's in our Constitution and needs to be respected, and there is a way for us to save lives and um, make sure that we respect our Constitution and respect the culture of Appalachia and uh, of rural areas at, at, at the same time. Yeah, so living in New York, we have a little stricter gun control than some other parts of the country. And I, I hear what you're saying. And I have to admit, I'm a little surprised that you're still a gun owner. Can you kind of talk me through how and why you've decided to hold on to that? Well, I'm not mad at the gun. I mean, listen, I, I could get into telling you specifically where and, and how she was shot and all of that. And, and certainly if it were any other violent tool that the man had tried to use, you know, she might still be alive today if she could have outrun him or survived uh, the violence. But 
I, I don't know. My brother gave me the shotgun and, and uh, used to go shooting sporting clays with him a lot. And haven't done so since. I haven't pulled the trigger because now in this new context to feel that force going into my shoulder and know that that same force went outward and into her uh, would be very difficult for me to uh, want to realize. But millennials and progressives, in order to actually make the kind of substantive change that I'm after, which is to reduce the number of people who are dying from homicide and suicide, we need to not hate people who just like guns. And I feel like the uh, notion of the common gun owner has been twisted a little bit because when I talk to rural voters where I am uh, who are gun owners, they agree with the larger platform that people in gun violence prevention are advocating for, uh, for universal background checks, uh, for expanded access uh, for possession prohibitions for people who are deemed at risk by law enforcement, to have checks on uh, magazine clip sizes and uh, more controls over the purchase amounts of uh, ammunition, uh, and also to looking at uh, legislation uh, about you know so-called assault rifles, uh, long guns, uh, semi-automatic uh, rifles. You know, so the the people who are gun owners agree with us. The problem is is that the gun lobby creates intransience. And uh, they buy uh, Republicans in Virginia all the time, including my opponent, who's an A-rated candidate and incumbent. And because we have you know, gerrymandering and problems with redistricting, we have a two-thirds majority in our House of Delegates for Republicans when otherwise we're a Democratic Commonwealth. No Republican is going to moderate on his position on guns until they have political pressure on them. And they're not going to have political pressure on them until we start having a better balance of power in the House of Delegates. In, in my understanding of, you mentioned the NRA and how he has an A candidate rating from them. Um, my understanding of the Virginia campaign finance system is that it's kind of the Wild West, for lack of a better term. There, there really aren't any campaign finance restrictions. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and how that comes into play in these local races? On your last podcast, you had Josh from uh, Activate Virginia talk about this, and, and it is the Wild West for campaign finance, and that is an okay corral shootout that Democrats are losing because we don't have the coke to puss. We don't have the Scaifes and the, and the DeVosses and the Mercers and the Koch brothers to fund uh, gubernatorial campaigns and to fund local legislative races, too. 